0: welcome to once more with commentary we are a buffy and angel podcast i'm jenny and i'm Allie. and today we're talking about <laughs> um wrecked for buffy and dad for angel Hmm. Mm.
1: you know i just realized that wrecked sounds kind of like racked It does yeah yeah i wonder if that that probably wasn't intentional <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't know maybe i guess why they name him rack yeah, I don't know. Do they know I mean, the names of the episodes that they're him filming? I, yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Well, how are how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually
1: I'm actually pretty good. I went um yesterday. It's I was just telling you like it's beautiful weather here, and yesterday I like went for a long walk around the city, which I haven't done in forever, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just like. It was so nice. Like, I woke up early, and I went, and I got toast at this place that mm, the toast used place. to have $4 toast and now has $6 toast. Oh,
0: God. <laughs> <laughs> so you took me there once, right?
1: I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's a, it's crazy to me because, like, I know it's a popular place, but I also got there at, like, 8.45 on a Saturday morning, and it was packed. And it wasn't, like just packed with people with kids like yeah just just adults out and about I was like sometimes I forget that San Francisco is kind of an early rising city
0: totally that would never happen here yeah (laughs) you guys were (laughs) 845 it'd be zero people there (laughs)
1: yeah so you know I was a little bit stressed because I was like oh I hope I get a place to sit and I did so I just like sat and had some toast And then, like, walked through Golden Gate Park and then back through, like, the Richmond. And, like, that was super fun because I found, like, a new, not a new spot, but, like, new-to-me spot that had, like, a really good brunch. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, like, this, like, Japanese breakfast. It was delicious. Yeah. Hmm. Um, And then, like, had a couple cocktails. And then I also went to, like, one of the um, Asian markets and then this, like, bakery. And I bought noodles like a whole giant bag of like sesame seeds and then like a ton of like buns and things at this bakery Mm. and like in total i was like i am shopping in the wrong neighborhood because (laughs) i spent like ten dollars yeah i was like i feel like i got so much for nothing (laughs) i mean i don't know if it was like organically sourced or any of that stuff but like but still yeah but yeah i bought like Literally, what was, like, a tray full of bread. And I came out of the bakery, and I was like, that was, like, $4. <laughs> <laughs> so, I made some fun discoveries yesterday. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. it was The bread was pretty good, too. I had these, like, little cakes that... It was called milk cake, but basically it was, like, angel food cake, which mm. I love, angel food cake. So, I might have to go
0: back, get more. Mm. Yeah. Um, how are you? Um, we went yesterday. I... Uh, to see aliens in the, in the theater. Cause you know, like some of the, uh, not Alamo, but there's this theater, small theater chain in New York called Nighthawk. It's like literally only a chain as of January, they open a second location. (laughs) Um, but it's like Alamo where you like order food and drinks and they do a lot of like themed programming. So, you know, they have new releases, but they also just do a lot of vintage stuff. Um, aliens is one of my all time favorite movies. Aliens, plural, the second one, and I've never seen it in a theater. I've seen it a bunch, but it was great. It was, It's just as good as a movie as I think it is. <laughs> but it was also like, I think I've spent, I assume everybody has this problem, but like watching movies at home these days, like the sound is never mixed properly. I can never get the dialogue to be as loud as I want it without blasting all of the like sound effects when there's these big action sequences and so I've seen that movie a lot but only at home and I feel like this was the first time that I was like oh I genuinely heard every word everybody said <laughs> yeah. but like in a way that was like oh it's so much better when you can just hear everything and see everything it was just a really it was it was just fun and you don't have
1: to put, like, the closed captioning on to make exactly, sure that you get all the yeah.
0: dialogue. Which then you have to
1: read it, you know? Yeah,
0: and then, and then sometimes it's, like, slightly ahead or slightly behind, and it's, like, that kind of throws off the rhythm. Um, but Aliens is great, and it wasn't the director's cut, which is the one that I've seen most of the time, and it is better. The director's cut is a little better. Um, but it was still it's still great. Do they um, add
1: stuff to the director's cut? Yeah,
0: it's, a little, it's longer. Mm. But they add some, like, good scenes. There's only one scene that they add that I think like could take it or leave it but the rest of the stuff that they add i think is like good context and it it, it just kind of makes it all a little bit better um interesting have you seen that movie at all before or no aliens yeah
1: yes you made me watch it oh i did <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> wait wait when did we watch it
1: we watched it like probably like when i first moved to san francisco we are watched you sure that wasn't time. alien though
0: oh i think we watched, we watched both one. oh okay yeah okay
1: because I had only ever seen, I talked about this You've recently, I had only seen, only the, bad, seen the, the really fourth bad one. <laughs> and so you were like, we've got to correct this. So we watched Alien and then Aliens. Yeah. Okay.
0: I remember watching the first one because I was thinking we were watching a lot of horror movies. Like, trying, like we watched Rosemary's Baby and we did a couple other ones. Oh, that's
1: right. I don't know so, how I let you talk me into that. So
0: I know that we watched Alien, but I didn't remember watching the second one. Okay.
1: Yeah. I'm pretty <sighs> sure we did. Which one is the one that ends with her like in the ship?
0: Well, they all in both of them. That's not, that's not helpful. Okay. Um, Aliens also has like a little girl in it. The first movie is just all adults. And Bilbo Baggins is in the first movie. The guy who plays him. Um, He's not in the second one. I
1: have I mean, been Ripley under the, the only assumption person. that I've seen both. and maybe I'm I don't just know. You,
0: I don't think you did. I think I did. Because, like, Hmm. I don't think you would have let me watch Alien and then not watch
1: the second one.
0: But I had never seen the first one. And that was in the book that I was... I was reading a book about horror movies, and they talked about it. And I was like, I've never seen that one.
1: Well, I'm going to continue operating on the belief that I've seen (laughs) (laughs) Aliens.
0: Uh. (laughs) Aliens is great in the way that Terminator is great, because they're both James Cameron movies from the same era. Terminator is a fantastic movie. Yeah, Aliens is Terminator with a different spin, you know? Yeah. In a different, I don't know
1: about like all Terminator sequels, but like the the original movie, The Terminator is a fantastic movie. It is.
0: I think you like aliens because it's the same. It's it's the same. Yeah, exactly. You have the same feeling watching. I really don't think you've seen it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. well, Well.
1: Someday. <laughs> Someday we'll fix that. I think I have, but I...
0: I don't, I don't know, think I'm so.
1: Like, I'm, like, walking around in my life thinking that I've seen this movie, so I, I don't know.
0: Um, um, it is the one that they parody directly in the Halloween episode of Community. When, when I, it is must be the one where they all eat the bad, like, um, army food,
1: <laughs> and <laughs> then they all
0: start turning into zombies. <laughs> but there's, like, a the first time that um trey and abed walk in um (laughs) trey is dressed like ripley where she wears this like loading dock mech suit and then abed is playing the alien and then they're like get embarrassed because trey gets embarrassed because it's so nerdy do you know you know what i'm talking about right
1: i don't know if i've seen that episode you've definitely
0: seen that episode it's from like when we watched it on tv together and they play abba the whole time and they turn into zombies do you know what season i think it's two or it's definitely two or three I don't remember which one, though. I've definitely
1: seen all of one or two, and I think I saw, like, most of three, but I don't know. I think know. you
0: saw all of three. We didn't watch all of season three together? Okay.
1: Oh, no, we must have. We must and have. Then, it was on TV. <laughs> yeah, I... Community is one of those shows where, like, I accidentally stopped watching it. Not, I think it was, like, well, didn't Dan Harmon leave?
0: Yeah, no, I intentionally stopped watching it after season three, but three, the first three are the, like... Solid. Is 3 the
1: one where they play Dungeons and Dragons? Yes. Okay, then I've seen that season. I just don't remember that episode.
0: Okay. Well, I'm sure yeah. this has been thrilling listening for everybody while <laughs> we just try and decide which TV and movies we've seen together and not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, okay, so what's funny, though, is that you were talking about director's cuts, and I don't know why this made me think of this, but I I, I heard something yesterday that kind of blew my mind a little bit. And in a way, I suppose you could call it a director's cut. Not really. Okay. But did you know that this is this is not at all related and it's going to seem very random, but in my <laughs> mind, I promise it's related. <laughs> did you know that the original version lyrics of I Want It That Way <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. make a lot of sense, but the song is terrible. So if you, if you ever stop and listen to like,
0: maybe what we call saying. it the
1: director's cut of sure. I Want It That Way, where the lyrics are like. You know, it's a catchy song, but, like, if you really look at the lyrics, it's kind of nonsensical, right? Sure. Like, whatever. I don't know. I haven't but, really
0: given this any thought ever, but okay. sure. Okay.
1: Well, I have. And I was okay. listening to a podcast yesterday that, like, called this out, and then they played this version of the original song. Mm. And, like, there's a whole set of lyrics that, like... That make it... They, they make it make sense, but it makes it, like, a super cheesy, like, you know, non-memorable song.
0: Interesting. So... Um I... I quickly, obviously, Googled this. There are several hits. So this is, you know, uh, this must be of the moment. Oh, no, this is from 20, 2016. Okay, well, whatever. It's not, I'm going to read these stories is what I'm saying.
1: Okay. But I, it's something that I discovered yesterday, and I don't know why, but the words director's cut made me think of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's sort of the director's cut. <laughs> I guess. There's an article on Genius, and then there's some article on the, on some other website. That says Chrissy Teigen asks them why it doesn't make sense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Of course she's involved. (laughs) All
0: right. Well, I'll explore this avenue later.
1: Okay. Um, We could talk about Buffy now. We should talk about (laughs) Buffy. (laughs) Uh,
0: Okay. Um, So you want to tell us what happened in in Wrecked, our favorite episode?
1: Oh, Oh. yeah. Mm -hmm. The best episode of Buffy ever. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, it was not as as I was afraid of but um okay so at the end of smashed Buffy and Spike are obviously giving in to their sex urges and tearing a house down Willow and Amy are out you know magicking around Sunnydale and um no one comes home and remembers that Dawn is a minor there at the house by herself so um she and Tara wake up on the couch Tara ends up spending the night because they were waiting up for everyone to come home They realize neither Buffy nor Willow came home. So they're obviously concerned because this is Sunnydale and they they should be. Um, But Buffy wakes up in the midst of, like, the wreckage of the house and is a little bit concerned with herself and disgusted at what she did with Spike and the fact that they knocked down an entire house and she didn't really notice. You know, she and Spike get in an argument as Spike is all hopeful about what this means and Mm -hmm. Buffy's, like, trying to shut it down. Um and then Willow she returns home and then Willow returns home from a night out with Amy. Everyone's obviously exhausted. Buffy and Willow like go to bed. And everyone's a little weirded out like okay, they're not really acting the same, but like Buffy and Willow are both in a way, I guess, dealing with things in their own way. So, um Buffy seems to like recover a little more quickly. She and Willow and are she and um Xander and Anya are still researching this like demon Uh, diamond-stealing, freeze-blasting demon that Mm -hmm. we know doesn't (laughs) exist. And and then Willow is obviously just having a really bad day. Like, she's not being able to do magic. She talks to Amy about it, and Amy tells her, oh, yeah, there's this guy that could probably help you. So Amy takes her to this guy we meet named Rack. Mm -hmm. And it's really unclear what he's doing, but he seems to, through some sort of, like, touch, like, transmit some magical ability to Willow that we see manifest in some vision, I guess, that she's having that's obviously feels really good and, like, mm-hmm. s- seems to, like, impart her with a little more magic. Um, but the day after this, she's obviously, like, totally wrecked again. Like, she's seems to be in a bit of, like, withdrawal. Like, she's kind of, like, obviously, like, jittery and, like, jonesing almost. So she's hanging out with Dawn or attempting to hang out with Dawn and, you know, takes Dawn out to eat and then says she's going to take her to a movie. But then she takes Dawn to Rax
0: mm-hmm.
1: and loses track of time, obviously comes out like black eyes, everything. Dawn's understandably freaked out. Mm-hmm. And somehow in the process, Willow has, like, summoned a demon who chases after them. And um, in the in the chase, Willow is acting insane and crashes a car that she steals Don's in the car, so Don gets injured in this accident, and then also this demon is like attacking her, whereas Buffy shows up and you know saves the day essentially um, until Willow like destroys the monster. But meanwhile, Buffy has been trying to avoid Spike, but also discovers Amy like rooting around in the house looking for magic supplies. Uh-huh. <laughs> and finds out from Amy where where Willow and Dawn are Dawn are, and then tries to go after them. And she can't find Rack's place, so she has to end up recruiting Spike to help her. Um, and so ends up interacting with Spike again despite wanting to do that. But at the end, um, Buffy is understandably furious at Willow for endangering Dawn in this way. Dawn is completely angry at Willow as well. And Willow decides that, you know what, she's done with magic and gonna quit and this isn't good if she's gonna hurt her loved ones so we'll see hmm. I'm sorry that was a really like I was like mid recap <laughs> going where am I taking this I don't catch yourself. Know.
0: <laughs> so I agree with you mostly it's not as bad of an episode as I remembered but it's still not I okay I'm excited to talk about this not because it's like I don't want to like Talk about how much I hate it, because I don't hate it, and and that's not that interesting. I had a really hard time, though, coming up with how to describe why it does ultimately, to me, still come across very after-school special. It's like, I know cognitively, you and I have been talking for weeks about how they've pretty much been positioning magic as this sort of addiction for Willow. You know, so it's like, it's not... There has been a slow buildup to it, but somehow this still felt like it came out of left field. I think it's because they go from like... Well, I, I don't know why, and I'm trying to figure it out. So I guess that's really my ultimate question for this discussion is like, why did so many of these... Is it just the direction... Is it the specific lines of dialogue or is it something more or all of that that, like, there were definitely times. I think, like, Amy rooting around in Willow's room is like, where did this come from? You know, Amy really has gone zero to 60. (laughs) Like, I don't know, Amy. What did
1: I write in my notes? I said, (laughs) so Amy went from rat to junkie in a day.
0: Yeah, and, like, she's back with her dad. Like, it's not clear how much time has passed or how she's talked to anyone or how she ever knew Rack. You know, I, the whole Amy thing doesn't make any sense. She's clearly just a plot device to get Willow into Amy this situation. Amy is like
1: a huge retcon in this scenario. <laughs> she really is. I, I had the same questions. Like, she can't have been Amy going to rack a in high ret, There was no indication that she was exactly. dabbling in magic. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And if she is after one visit to Rack, jonesing this badly, how did that never happen in any of the episodes that she was in before? You know what I mean? It's like.
1: Yeah, and how, like, obviously she hasn't done magic for three years as a rat, uh, so how is she all of a sudden, first of all, we talked about this last time, like, how is she able to keep up with Willow, Mm -hmm. like, clearly her skills must be kind of rusty, okay, so it's convenient that they're not, like, she's, you know, I mean, she says in this episode that she had trouble keeping up with Willow, but, like, it was never implied that Amy was some sort of super witch, Right. and also there's never been any mention of her going to Rack, and, like, that kind of... I, you're right. It's a complete plot device. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's a total retcon. And we talked about before, like, Amy's character has always been a bit slippery. Like, we don't know if she's good or she's bad. They definitely kind of, in this arc, put her in the bad column. Mm-hmm. But yeah, her rooting around in Willow's room, I mean, aside the only thing that was, like, funny was the, like, she's like, it's not what you think it is, Right. Sage. sage, and Buffy was <laughs> yeah. like, that is what I think it <laughs> that's is, true. like, rooting around for, like, <laughs> you know, for, like,
0: magic I drugs. I think that's basically. why it feels sudden somehow, you know, because, like I said, the buildup with Willow has been really slow and well plotted for the most part, so, like, I think that either of them, but especially also that Willow, all of a sudden seems to have this really severe reaction to everything like how did this not happen to her after she rose Buffy raised Buffy from the dead you know like that was had to have been equal to the amount of magic that she spent on this evening I guess it was just because she wasn't trying to do magic right away but she was because they had to fight off all those bikers
1: I mean that's what's crazy to me is like the implication that it's the little bits of magic that she's been doing that are the real problem and not and maybe that's it maybe it's because the the really powerful stuff is scary and takes a lot out of her and you know the little stuff that she doesn't notice like trying to close the window and like dressing herself and you know all of that is the stuff that really adds up as like I think it's kind of implied that she's not so much addicted to magic and the power although she is but she's also addicted to like the way it makes her life easy I guess that's
0: again I'm not saying this to criticize the episode in a way that I don't like it. I'm trying to pick apart what exactly is going wrong for me because I'm just having such a hard time articulating it. But I think maybe that's part of it, too, is that I think throwing Rack into the mix makes it seem like she's just addicted to his literal drug instead of has this reaction to all the stuff that she's been doing. I think that's why it ultimately ends up feeling like she's literally, I mean, also they obviously stage this to just be a huge analogy for drug use. You know, he's in like a den, he has junkies in the waiting room, you know, the way they talk about him and the way that they react while they're being, using the magic as though they're high. And then the way they have hangovers afterwards, like all of this is clearly mapped onto, you know, a real world drug or alcohol addiction scenario. So like, that's fine, I guess. But I think the fact that they throw rack into it makes it feel like they're going to him for, you know, a specific drug. And that that's what tips it over the edge for Willow. Whereas I think the real story here should be that Willow has finally reached a tipping point. And I think it just muddied the waters. It just made it too cheesy. In the end. No, I agree. You know, the, I like the story this, overall. Like, it's just the particular trappings of this episode are just, like, somehow got it wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree. It went from this, like, subtle buildup to this, like, overt, like, really on-the-nose, like, you know, opium den kind yeah. of like, situation.
0: <laughs> yeah, also a little and vintage. it's, it's also
1: <laughs> never clearly defined what Rack is doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think, again, before, it was so clearly this intermingling of willow probably having some real after effect of using magic at all but also really getting high off of the power rush that she feels so it's like this again is like she doesn't feel powerful when she's with rack that doesn't track at all to kind of like what the addiction buildup has been framed around i did really like there was what you know her whole breakdown is like Okay. Again, it felt like it was an after school special genuinely telling me I should never use magic and I was like, "All right, I, I guess this is the message that you want to send." Um but when she was she and Buffy are talking after they after this is all over and she's like taking a shower and is sitting in her bed and she does ha- she did have I think this nice um not nice. It was really upsetting. But like when she starts telling to buff telling Buffy like why she has been leaning into this so hard and why she's been feeling this way is like basically because she's really unhappy with herself or, you know, it's like, it was so sad for me to hear her say out loud, like, why would you ever be my old self if you could be this new powerful Willow? And I felt like that was such a good articulation of what we've seen that I just wish they had leaned in that direction harder somehow. I don't think they needed rack to sell this concept to us. I do like that because Rack, I like that guy. That's such a rich vein, but, because yeah.
1: Willow, as we've talked about, even before she was doing magic, was like the Hermione of the group, right? Yeah. Like, she's the reason they're able to do half of this stuff. <sighs> yeah. You know, and it was just through good old-fashioned, like, brains and, like, computer work. Like, she right. wasn't using magic. Right. But I think because Willow, like, which I think... The interesting point that I think could be made that they don't really do a good job of here is that maybe Willow sees it this way because she started blossoming around the same time she started using magic. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, like, she got more into magic when she was dating Oz and then, you know, more Mm -hmm. into magic with Tara and, like, you know, could kind of view it as, like, this hand-in-hand situation where it's just kind of coincidental timing. Yeah, that makes sense. But they don't really draw that comparison very well. And also, like... I think because it's so overt in this episode, and as you say, and I think it's correct, it feels like an after-school special. Like, the way Willow's acting when she's high, the immediate car accident. Exactly, like,
0: like, I don't know. The
1: groveling. Like, I I, I actually hate the scene where she's, like, breaking down and, like, begging Buffy. And then just, like, you know that's she's really doing Allison Hannigan
0: is really doing her best but it's just out of (sighs) left field
1: (laughs) it's just not good and it it would have worked so much more effectively I think had that not been in there yeah I think so Um, too because otherwise it's like with that scene and then after I'm like why is Willow still in the house like you know Buffy could have just kicked her out but I yeah yeah I so much about this is like they took the metaphor and
0: went too far I think yeah and I think, like you're saying, like again, even even with all this nitpicking, like I didn't I didn't hate this episode. I hate some of the scenes, <laughs> but it's not you know. It, I really like the conclusion. I'm glad that this like is at least sort of over. You know that they've kind of come full circle to this storyline with Willow. I mean, it's obviously not over, but I just mean to say that like that she's reached her rock bottom. I think makes sense. The the arc of the story makes sense. It's just the specifics that are kind of off. I mean, some of it
1: really worked for me. Like the downward spiral part is hard to watch, but also I think where it really works to me is like that scene where Willow is like, she's taking Dawn to dinner and then they're going to go to the movies, but she's like, oh, I just have to go do this quick thing. It'll just be a minute. And like the way she's acting and like Dawn's like growing unease and confusion Mm -hmm. and like all of that to me was really interesting, and then also this idea of like the horror when you're like, because Amy's telling Buffy, oh, I saw them, Willow took dawn to this guy, yeah and and you're thinking Amy's just spinning lies like like Willow would never would not do, do that, that. yeah like, yeah, and then you see it happen and it's just like, I can't believe Willow took dawn there yeah. and the horror of like how far gone she really is like yeah. all of that to me works way better yeah. than that whole extended sequence with the demon.
0: And the weird also, yeah all why, the drug demon. Why trips? a
1: demon? Why does it need to be a yeah, demon? Yeah,
0: and why did we need to see all of Willow's like psychedelic drug experience I don't know. You know, again, I think that also was a little bit like why are you putting this in this episode?
1: <laughs> but to me that just added to the confusion of like, what, is Rack giving exactly? them power yeah. or he's just letting them feel magic? Or yeah. like what what is he really doing with them? I it's it's really badly defined. Yeah and I that like doesn't work, and also the fact that she somehow summons a demon is just unnecessary. Yeah, like I, is it just so Buffy has someone to fight? Yeah, like I exactly.
0: honestly think I couldn't if you just take let that out of the equation,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, and Willow's just acting crazy and gets Dawn in an accident, like to me
0: that's yeah, that must have that's, been that's someone being like, ah, oh, but it's not an episode of Buffy if they don't like kill a demon at the end. <laughs> um, you know, so it is. It's funny that you say this because I, I do actually I think that you're right that maybe one of one of the stronger elements of the episode is is specifically Don's reaction to all of this because I love not yeah exactly because there was a little bit in the beginning where it's like I mean Don can stay at home by herself she's old enough to do a lot of stuff but she's she's not a young kid but she's definitely still young enough to be thrown for a loop when somebody that she's looked up to and who has been up until this point an exceedingly responsible person has you know, is making her feel this uncomfortable. I think you're, you're right that like the unease and, and Don's like kind of, starting dawning of (laughs) dawning of realization with her that like that something's wrong and then just really not knowing what to do because like well now she's just in an alleyway alone you know what i mean it's like she doesn't have a good option here it's not like she's making bad choices for once you know like she's totally a a victim of this situation and i think she plays it really well specifically her reactions to willow are seem seem to kind of be one the one of the real tipping points for willow is that like she's hurt dawn because of this
1: I mean, okay, Dawn, by the way, was a badass in this episode. Okay. She, like, just kicks the monster, throws dirt in his face, slaps Willow. Slaps Willow. I did
0: like that. (laughs) She totally deserved that.
1: (laughs) But, yeah, like, I really think it takes Dawn reacting for Willow to realize, like, how she's gone too
0: far. Because Dawn is kind of the resident innocent, you know, if something has happened to her, sort of not exactly but
1: yeah and I think it's interesting to compare Dawn to Buffy where Dawn has been an innocent bystander and whereas Buffy might have seen more of the warning signs of what Willow's doing but she's so wrapped up in her own I guess she might consider downward spiral that she's trying to kind of cut Willow some slack like that scene with Xander in the magic box is really interesting where Xander is like oh Willow just found a new you know um, magic buddy to like do magic with and he's Mm -hmm. not really doesn't really seem to be approving of it and Buffy's trying to you know tell him not to be so judgmental yeah because she's thinking of her own you know maybe bad choices
0: I think that I didn't love that either frankly I guess I understand that Buffy is just feeling so unsure of herself right now that she might be inclined to kind of have some of these thoughts about Willow but I just feel like their situations are not the same in my eyes. So no, I, guess, I I don't do think either.
1: it works as a comparison, yeah, but I do it's think it's interesting to how it informs Buffy's initial right, reaction right. to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's true. Very yeah. true. Um, shoot. I had another thought about Dawn. Oh, I forgot what it was. <sighs> oh, well. Um.
1: Yeah, I. but I guess what I was thinking was like, so comparing Buffy's reaction to Dawn, like Dawn doesn't have any of that as a frame of reference. And she's like also more victimized by this. Yeah. So I think, I think yeah yeah you know Buffy just kind of stares contemptibly at Willow, but like Don slapping Willow had to be like the real helpful.
0: final thing, yeah, yeah, I do think it's interesting too, though, that, like I said that the final discussion between Willow and Buffy, I mean I think again Buffy kind of makes it about her in the end, and I'm like, I don't know, buffy this whole situation is not about you and Spike, but fine, whatever, um but up until that point, I do think Willow asks interesting and, and unrelatable questions, you know, like who is she, who is she without magic? I mean, she still is the smart brainy one in the group, but it really has been a significant contribution to them. So like, I can also understand how like she must be feeling so lost to, to realize that she can't keep going down this path, but that she's de- genuinely saved the world more than once because she has this power. It like really does put her in a weird, you know, that's, I, I that's gotta be, Difficult to suss through. And specifically, I think she said this, but it's like Tara's only known her since she's been a witch. So I cannot also understand her feeling like, oh, well, if I'm not this, why would Tara even want to be with me?
1: When all Tara has been saying this whole time right. is like <laughs> the witch is not what she's attracted it's true. to in Willow. It's true.
0: So. But it's hard to feel that way, you know, when if you're just insecure. I mean, they are in their early 20s and working through their identities. And I think this is the normal time to kind of be having some of these problems. I mean, obviously it's. She's taking it too far and she's making the wrong choices over and over again. But I just thought that that was a really... I thought that almost grounded the episode, that final discussion. Not completely, but it it definitely helped. Um, So, okay. (laughs) One other kind of passing thought, totally off the Willow train, back onto the Buffy and Spike train, which I mostly don't want to talk about (laughs) for the obvious reasons of it being uncomfortable and disturbing and, you know unhealthy. It's a lot of bad things. It's very few good things. Um, you and I have definitely talked about this before. And I don't think, I don't know if it's hundred percent true or not in this episode, but you know, in the beginning of this episode, Buffy and Spike have just had sex and they're not wearing anything. Buffy pretty quickly dresses herself. But then later on when she catches Spike, he's not wearing anything. All I'm trying to say is that like Spike was the, by film, the objectified one in this episode. <laughs> And I thought it was a little bit, you know, it's just like, it's one of those things that I don't really notice about the show until something like this kind of makes me pay attention where I'm like, oh, that's right. They didn't like linger over Buffy sexily in the morning. And like Buffy is very attractive and that's very obvious. And she often wears a variety of, you know, outfits, but it's, she, they just never linger on her in a way that is gross. No, the
1: only like, time oh, they only ever did was when on- she
0: was Faith. Yeah, and we're only lingering on Spike. <laughs> yeah, and it's like no, oh, I, that was. there was, they was definitely objectifying him. He was unnecessarily naked for a long time. Like, okay, this is obviously what they always do with women. This is so satisfying. I mean, I know it's like 2019, and this not as uncommon to kind of do these things now. But like, it's just so nice that they're not always doing that to all the women. And I don't think about it until something. Like I said, until something kind of pulls me out of it. I'm like, oh, that's right. I don't have to just be annoyed but I wonder, all the time. <laughs>
1: But I wonder if that was an intentional choice too, because like of the way Buffy is in fact using Spike is like totally as an object and not, not treating him as a person. Like even she just says in this episode, another example of how mean she could be where she's like, you're just convenient. Like, you know, she is objectifying him in a way. So I wonder if that's an intentional choice to then have the camera do it as well.
0: I totally think Um, you're right. I guess I just also mean to point to the fact that they haven't, they don't no, ever I, do that No, but you're right. Written. Like, And that
1: was something that I read around um, the episode where Buffy and Faith switch bodies is, like, they made an intentional choice there for the camera to objectify Buffy mm-hmm. in a way that they don't usually do because Faith is acting in this really sexually suggestive way for Riley. Mm-hmm. And, like, the camera is trying to, like, call attention to that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, no, they don't usually do that. I mean, Buffy's dressed in, like, two seconds flat, basically. Mm-hmm. And, like her being dressed is what they're using to like strategically cover up spikes. So. Right.
0: <laughs> but yeah, that
1: leather skirt did some heavy lifting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I um, feel like that's mostly we will what have, have more yeah. to say about the whole Buffy spike thing. Cause that that's not going anywhere. It's so. true. And I
0: just, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I it's not, I don't want to not talk about it in a way that is, does a disservice to like the problems with kind of the story. We I mean, not problems exactly. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to just look the other way, I guess, is what I'm saying. But this was not my favorite. I really dislike their dynamic. I dislike him trying to push her into it and get her to admit that she loves him when she clearly doesn't and is saying that she doesn't. And I don't like this back and forth very much, even if I believe it, you know.
1: Well, and, like, she's opened the door now for, like, his new tactic to be, oh, I'll just have sex with you until you fall in love with me. Right, (laughs) right. Like, that seems to be his plan. Yeah. So, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Man, but everybody sure does fail Dawn in this episode. Her oh, waking up in God. the morning was like, that kind of, that was pretty hurtful. Well, I'm you trying know? to
1: remember, is the next one where, um, like, Buffy gets the scare with, like, social services? Because oh, I don't remember like honestly if it is like that's not coincidental timing right that's true <laughs> like but be, like Dawn has a bunch of like 20 year olds taking care of yeah. her and it's yeah. probably not the best like scenario yeah
0: okay that's all i've got on this one yeah same z's same yeah. okay on to on to dad yeah
1: <laughs> i don't know why i laugh like that it uh, uh, yeah uh,
0: <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there yeah Okay. So Angel episode called Dad, you know, once again picking up right where we left off, which is that Darla sacrificed herself to have the, their baby live and they all scampered off with the new baby. Um so but meanwhile, all, all the chaos that was going on at the end of the last episode is still going on, which is to say that now Angel and Darla, two vampires have somehow had a baby and that I think rightfully so holds a lot of perhaps mystical significance for demons and, um, paranormal enthusiasts worldwide. (laughs) So a lot of people are after the baby for either mostly for nefarious purposes, actually exclusively for nefarious purposes, whether to eat him, to experiment on him, to whatever, try and figure out how this happened. So, um, The Angel crew returns to the hotel with the baby, but they know right away and realize right away that they are completely under siege. All these groups are after them and after the baby. So they um, kind of bunker down as much as they can in the hotel. Um, You know, they have... um, Lauren shows up and he brings the Furies back with him to cast a protection spell around them, but they kind of all know that that's not going to last forever and they're going to have to come up with some other kind of plan. Also, Angel is... Uh, irritatingly, but a little bit adorably uh, won't let anyone else touch his baby. (laughs) And so there's a lot of little dad scenes sprinkled throughout as he tries to figure out like what to do with a newborn baby. But Cordelia also rightly points out that like, I mean, this is a human baby and he needs to see a doctor. They just need to do a lot of things. And Angel needs to let people help him because he doesn't exactly know what he's doing. Um, so while this is going on, uh, Lila and Wolfram and Hart are also kind of on the case. They're trying to figure out who this Holtz guy that showed up is and what his relationship to Angel is. Um, Holtz, meanwhile, decides he doesn't more really want to follow along with what this guy, the demon guy that brought him back, wants him to do. He goes looking for another vampire hunter and he meets one. Um, and so maybe he's like recruiting a vampire hunter to help him take down Angel. Um, But yeah, but meanwhile, the Angel crew is making a list of all of their new enemies and trying to figure out what to do. Angel eventually annoyingly announces that he and the baby are just going to make a run for it and that they can just, everyone else can just, stick around and that's it. And they all are understandably kind of annoyed and hurt by this reaction because this is not the first time that angel has run out on them. And in this case, he's leaving them to fight off dozens of demon groups. <laughs> um, but he does it anyway. And he meets some, you know, pe- people track him down. He tosses them the baby to say like, oh, is this what you want? And it turns out oh, it was a bomb. And he didn't ever take the baby with him. They double crossed everyone and they tricked Wolfram and Hart who've been uh, who've bugged the hotel. to spy on them with video sur- and sound surveillance or maybe not sound regardless. Anyway, at the end of the day, they tricked everybody. Cordelia and the crew had Con, who the baby who be- gets named Connor at the end of the episode. They've had him the whole time and they do take him to the doctor and he's a totally healthy baby. And for the meantime, Angel pulls some threats on Wolverine Hart to kind of help ensure that everyone's going to stop attacking them, at least for a little while. I had some misgivings about this episode. I, I guess I'm maybe I'm a sucker for a twist sometimes, but it really kind of won me won me over, mostly because this episode ended with a shot of the crew leaving. You know, leaving in a line like we've seen them do a few times before. And that always is what gets me, which I'm sure you and everyone that ever listens to us knows is that like that's what I'm looking for in this show is for the crew to be acting together and marching defiantly in the face of danger at the end of the episode. And so like this was a great ending, at least the whole the rest of it was was fine. I definitely didn't hate it, um, but I definitely liked the ending.
1: Yeah, no, that's always a charming shot Mm -hmm. of them.
0: And that, in you know. this one particular instance, Angel is pushing a stroller. Like, I mean, they couldn't be any cuter about this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, but where did they get the blue baby blanket?
0: I don't know. I mean, where did they get diapers? They were, like, on yeah. the run. And they had baby formula, bottles, diapers. I don't I, think Darla just, had like, that stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, I...
0: Uh, yeah. So,
1: like, if I think too hard about this, it's probably going to, like, all fall apart. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. I, I mean, although, like, honestly... You kind of mentioned it, like, the d- the dad stuff of, like, adjusting to a baby being there is, like, delightful through the whole episode. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Angel changing the diaper and then just, like, handing it to Wesley. Yeah. And then Wesley, Wesley just, like, throwing it on the, desk. It on yeah. the desk. Like, <laughs> yeah, they've got other more important things to worry about than the trash. Yeah. Like, um, that was funny. And, like, his little vampire face. Um,
0: to calm him, calm him down. down. I did think
1: that was yeah. cute. Cool. But, yeah, I... I think, like, this episode, though, is continuing this kind of annoying streak for me of, like, it's all a little messy yeah. in that I don't really know what the focus is supposed That's to be. That's true. I like, mean, and, like, why? Just, yeah. Like, we get rid of some of the other moving parts. Like, you know, the bomb in the mine takes care of a lot of the... Um, the
0: peripheral demon hunter yeah, groups. Yeah, like, the
1: the groups that are going after Connor. But, like, we still got Holtz and we still got Wolfram and Hart. And what we really don't understand at this point is,
0: like... Why? Yeah. Like,
1: I mean, we don't know why Wolfram and Hart is so interested. There's no answers about what Connor is supposed to be like. Right. Other than this born, not born baby. Oh, but I did
0: not care for that either. Yeah. I'm and sorry. They figured he out that, was like, born. That has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Passing through the vaginal canal is not a requisite to being born. That made no sense.
1: Well, those tricky Niasian yeah. scroll, scroll writers, but you know, and then also they figured out that they've they've pegged Holtz to be one of the major players in that scroll as well. Sure. So it's all kind of cohesing like together, but why? I mean, I like it's not that interesting for them to just be holed up in the hotel and make a list on a whiteboard. Honestly.
0: Yeah, that's true. Although I did like Angel telling them that we need to erase them, and then Fred was like, "Okay." <laughs> I just really like Fred. <laughs> I really yeah. try to but, be over her and I'm not. She's great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there are little moments in this episode that really work for
0: me. You're um, totally right, though, that it's still really unfocused, that yeah. we're still dealing with. Like, does that demon guy who brought Holtz back come back or is this the end of him? Could really go either well, I don't way know, based Holtz on this episode, like, right? Poisoned he poisoned like, all his minions. Yeah. But then again, like, why build up that whole story with that guy at all? Like, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense.
1: It's not even clear what that guy's beef with Angel exactly. is. Exactly.
0: So. Yeah, And I don't
1: remember if we find That's out. That's what
0: I'm wondering. Do they drop that, or is it... Uh, I, I'll assume yeah. he comes back, but hard to say.
1: And Holtz is finding,
0: like, other Another vampire hunter. Like, I don't care about that. I don't care about that yeah. girl. Yeah, I agree with you on the general unfocused nature.
1: Also, I, like, in that car sequence when Angel's, like, fleeing, it occurred to me, I was like, oh, I think this is a decoy but I don't really remember. And I don't. I think what really annoyed me was like it is a decoy and it's supposed to like be for the audience, but also it's supposed to be for the demons and vampires that are chasing him. Mm-hmm. So why is he talking to the baby as if it's really the baby in the car? No, nobody's spying on him in the
0: car. <laughs> He's just living out his own dad fantasy. <laughs> That's true. Just in case, just in case they're being watched. Yeah. No, you're right. That doesn't make sense. I did like the introduction to Files and Records. Oh, me too. Um, and <laughs> Alex is really proud of himself for recognizing and then confirming that the girl who plays Files and Records <laughs> is Flo from Progressive.
1: <laughs> yep, I have that in my notes.
0: <laughs> I did kind of like passively think like, oh, she kind of looks familiar, but then I was like, whatever. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I like that the website that holds turns on is called Demons, Steam. Oh my Demons. God.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <sighs> so I think it's like the little moments, but like, I, I, none of this is really like turning into like a, a solid hole for me yet. Like, right. You know, it's uh, like, it's just kind of like a lot, like, okay, there's a baby, but we also took three episodes for Darla to like give birth and have the baby. Right. Which felt unnecessary. So now we're kind of dragging it out more. And Angel's kind of, like, put all the players on hold by the end so that, like, maybe we can kind of, like, stop and assess the situation. Because everything's been kind of, like, they've been on the run for, like, three episodes, basically. Right. Um, and now that, you know, he's got Wolfram and Hart at bay for a bit. Um, did we talk about the whole Godfather thing? No,
0: no, not yeah, not okay. very specifically.
1: Yeah, but he's kind of, like, tricked Wolfram and Hart into, like, backing off. And it's unclear what Holtz is going to do, but... I don't know. It just all feels so breathless and there's not like a lot happening. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You're, you're right though, that this is totally carried on all the small moments because like another, (laughs) yeah, yes. Um, Like another scene that stuck out to me or that I just thought was so cute was like as they're gearing up to fight all the demons and angels, you know, has run away in his car. um, Wesley and Gunn just like exchange. You know, they have that little moment where he's like, oh, I always think of myself as so and so John Wayne in Rio Bravo. And then Gunn is like, oh, I'm this guy in Assault on Precinct 13. And it's like those kinds of like bonds and moments are like so wholesome. (laughs) Mm. I guess I'm trying to make a bigger deal out of it than it is. I just like that line. No, But I, it's just, I, like, it was full of a lot of cute moments between everybody in ways that we've kind of not been doing for a few weeks, and those are really satisfying. But I agree that they've just, like, cast such a wide net over the last four or five episodes that, like, trying to rein it back in, I guess really last three episodes, that, like, trying to rein it back in into something kind of coherent is, like, a little tough.
1: Like, it was cute, but honestly, like, uh, I hate to say it, not really that interesting to watch Angel trying to figure out how to stop Connor from crying.
0: Yeah, it was kind of filler.
1: Especially because it's frustrating because, like, he's doing it, but, like everyone else is offering to right. help and he's just like no 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 like yeah you know and it's like yeah okay you promised Starla to take care of Connor but like these are people that you trust yeah like it's yeah it's a weird reaction on Angel's part
0: it's true I mean, I think then they're just trying to cash in on the fact of like, he's a new dad and new parents are so, you know, like, well, can't, oh, I
1: think I it's also how they, they think like the bait and switch is going to work true. because if we see Angel not letting anybody right. hold the baby, then like when he takes off with a baby, it, yeah. look, you're going to assume that it's the actual baby.
0: <sighs> that's true.
1: Until the moment he like throws him at the demon. Right. Yeah. So agreed. That's the literal only reason for it, which is irritating. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think you're right.
1: Like, they're trying to back it up with this whole, like, overprotective dad thing. But, like, when you really take it apart, you're like, oh, the only reason he's behaving in this irrational manner is so that they can then have a, like, bait and switch at the end of the episode. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Anyway. I want to get to a point where I have something positive to say. I I mean, like, I loved, I thought this episode was funny. Like, it had its moments. It just, like, it, overall, the show is not working for me right now.
0: Yeah, I agreed.
1: I, I can't, I can't really say more about about that, because there's nothing to talk about. Like, nothing happened. It's true,
0: true, nothing happened. I like how we we switched roles this week, though. I was like, I'm okay about this episode, and you've, like, more or less... Yeah, talk me out of it. it. <laughs> I mean, that's not true. I still thought this one was fine. I think just because it wasn't, because they're trying to wrap up those loose ends, like it doesn't make sense plot wise. But at least because that's been my biggest gripe, I feel like I still felt like we were making progress, even though you're right that like what even happened in this episode, almost nothing. <laughs> but like to me, like what happened is we dropped all these characters that I couldn't care less about. <laughs> like so happy that they're not in the show anymore, and they're like this doesn't have to be the story anymore. He's got to be something else next week, right?
1: Yeah, I hope so, but
0: yeah. I don't know. Well, I really don't have anything to add. I don't either. Oh, but also that like Wolfman Hart, like their vampire detection system is also like completely dependent on how the episode needs it to be. Like how can Angel just march into the boardroom and get that get a hand on that guy? Like there's no way that would have happened in season 1. Mm. But whatever.
1: Yeah. Also, the alarm goes off and he's immediately there. Like, wouldn't he have tripped it as soon exactly. as he stepped in the building? That's what I'm saying. Is I, it's like that's yeah. totally
0: just wherever they need it to be for the episode.
1: Yeah, I did like the guy, the Wolfman Hart guy, though, saying that he loves kids and he was just <laughs> sad that the senior partners <laughs> so took true. his before he really got yeah. to know
0: them. <laughs> I was like, it's true.
1: Oh, that's like a casual reference to like he sacrificed his children to like
0: yeah get to this for his part. success yeah. or whatever. Totally,
1: but it kind of can get a little. I don't know. Like, that's what I mean. Like, the jokes were pretty good yeah, in this episode. they were. <sighs> okay. What do we have coming up? Coming up, we have Gone mm-hmm. and
0: Birthday. Yes. A quick perusal tells me that Birthday is finally an episode I've been waiting for for so long. <laughs> I thought this episode <laughs> happened, like, a season ago. <laughs> I don't remember the good, details. I think I know which one yeah, it is, I only know one major thing that happens, but hopefully it's good.
1: And Gone is the one that I was thinking of with The Social Worker. Yep. Yep. It's also the one, and the only reason I remember that is because I remember the scene with The Social Worker, and then I also remember the rest of the episode, and I remember it's the one where Buffy cuts her hair. Yep, it is.
0: (laughs) The most important thing to happen.
1: Yes. The critical episode of Season (laughs) 6. Um. Okay, well, we've got those coming up. Do you have any pop culture to talk about other than? Aliens? Uh, I was just
0: gonna say, well, Aliens. <laughs> Everyone should go watch Aliens. You should watch the director's cut if you have the extra fifteen minutes, which you probably do. Um, 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 I don't remember if I mentioned this last week. I think I did. I don't know if I. Brought, I don't remember if I brought this up or not. But I am trying to, uh, once and for all, read Lord of the Rings. Um, I've read a bunch of it. I just never read Return of the King, and I've never seen it nobody, uh, tweet at me and tell me what happens at the end. (laughs) Cause I don't know. Um, but I'm like halfway through fellowship now. I'm like really genuinely enjoying it. I wasn't sure if it's like, I have this memory of Tolkien being really dense and, you know, like kind of struggling through it when I was uh, like quite a bit younger. And so I was like, Oh, I hope it's not totally like that. Like there's definitely, he has some writing ticks that are you know, he'll often introduce a character and be like, they were the son of this guy who ran this thing and lived in this place. And it's like, none of those are part of this (laughs) are part of this active story that we're telling. And so like, I appreciate that. Like he's done all this extensive world building, but it's like not super breezy to read through, but it's, it's a lot less obtrusive than I remembered it being. And I just really like the story of fellowship. Like there are just, there is just moment after moment of people being good friends for one another. And like the hobbits being this like totally under, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like people don't expect them to be able to do anything, and then they end up being really strong and like not strong and powerful and mighty, but just like really reliable. And I just I don't know. There's just something about that that I find very appealing. I think there's not very many stories about. There's a lot of stories about reluctant heroes, but there's not a ton of stories about like you know. I don't I don't know if I'm coming across it all, but it's like usually it's like no, somebody. Like the who,
1: hobbits are kind of discounted. Yeah. As well, it's like small Buffy's, and like yeah. just unhelpful like Buffy
0: is a reluctant hero but she has superpowers Harry Potter is a reluctant hero but he's the chosen one like Frodo there is certainly a mythos about it but like Frodo is just a hot he's just a extra good hobbit you know like he doesn't have anything special about him except for like loyalty (laughs) it's like great I love that as a story and his friends are just there for him repeatedly like everything is just it's a great story I'm I think I'm not gonna like the rest of them as much as I like fellowship because this one is just like all these sweet moments of buds being buddies and it's so cute and and there's like, a sp- think fun story. Fellowship is the
1: one that I like the best. Yeah.
0: But we'll see where this goes. I think it's going to take me a while because I just, I'm slow. And, and I mean, like I said, they're not like as 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 difficult as I remember them to be reading. But they're all it's not like quick. And they're long. Um. But yeah. So that's what I'm doing. I did also start listening to this podcast called Imaginary Worlds that I haven't been able to listen to all of it because. They only have, like, the current season up on the podcast app, so you have to, like, subscribe to some service to get all the other ones. Um, But it's just this guy who talks about sci-fi and fantasy stories in, like, kind of a variety of ways. And I, so far, I'm really enjoying it. Um, They don't have all the old episodes up, but they do have the, like, pilot, you know, like, first episode where he talks about, like, why he's doing this. And they just talk about a lot of fantasy and... um, sci-fi that he was into and they like talked to a couple of other people and one they did bring up Buffy in that like pilot episode and I was just listening to it kind of casually at work and I got like really jazzed about it because they kind of were just talking about the, the early seasons of Buffy you know it's been such a long time since you and I have been watching those early episodes but it's like really it like really stirred something in me when I was like you're right Buffy's the greatest show to ever be written and aired <laughs> and it's perfect and you're right and like that's not what they were saying at all but it's like totally where I took it um, because they were talking about her as a reluctant hero and like, I don't know, it was just, it was just a nice moment for me sitting at my desk to just really be reminded of like how I love the show and why I love it. And I think that's like really made me adhere to this podcast. You know, I I do really like the podcast otherwise, but it just like stirred something in me that I think also like has really attached me to it.
1: I don't know if I talked about it on here on air, but I know I told you about it, but like, so my mom has a coworker who built an entire presentation, around using the Slayer as a leadership lesson. Yes, you did tell me
0: about that. the
1: file was so big that, like, I couldn't even really get it to open (laughs) when she sent it to me. But he, like, I think it's like, an hour-long presentation or something, like, season by season, episode by episode, scene by scene, like, of examples where Mm -hmm. he's pointing to the ways that this show exemplified the different styles of leadership. And... I was just like, to me, that's such a silly, fun way to like inspire your coworkers, but also an example Mm -hmm. of like how well written this show is. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) There's just so much to get out of it if you want to.
1: Yeah. Like it's just a rich vein for any angle. And I think like, I was just thinking about that because like, yeah, you really can come back from any vantage point and look at the show and be like, oh my gosh, it is fantastic. And it will go down as one of the best of all
0: time. Or it has already yes. but you know yes we'll continue
1: one day when they discover our ancient civilization right. like, <laughs> they're gonna find this treasure trove of digital yeah. archives or something and like buffy's gonna be popular yes agreed <laughs> this is after the machines have taken over and given up
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, wait, do you have a pop culture recommendation? I do.
1: Um, Speaking of 20-year-old pop culture that stands the test of time, (laughs) first of all, I want to say that 2019 is going to be a great year for 20-year anniversaries because 1999 was just a great year in pop culture, I think. But (sighs) I was wondering why recently I had seen this crop of articles pop up talking about 10 things I hate about you. Mm-hmm. But turns out, I think um, I think actually today might be as we're recording the 20 year anniversary yeah. of the release of that movie, and I, you know, I've read a few of the articles, and like honestly, all of them leave me in the same place of just thinking about yes, this teen movie so good. has <laughs> stayed with me over 20 years, and or for 20 years, and I go back, it still holds up today. Yes. It's still reliably funny. Oh, it's so quotable. It's so good, and. Also, the attitudes that it portrays so stand modern. the test of the time. Like, <laughs> like, it's feminist. It's, like, you know, Did, the the, um, the main girl is, like, an unlikable, like, you know, yeah. female figure.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it introduced the world to Heath Ledger. Oh, my God. Like,
0: You're totally right.
1: All of it. And it's just, like, oh, my God, this movie. And I, so I just want to say, if you haven't seen 10 Things I Hate About You, you definitely should. Okay. Because...
0: I mean, I really want to add on to this because again, I forget if oh, I mentioned this last week yeah. or not. But last weekend, I went to a <laughs> like an imp- oh, that's right, I you went did to an improv version of Ten Things I Hate About You, which is literally it was called like it's this event that somebody does in Brooklyn called a drinking game. So it was it was a drinking game, but it was literally just like wait, you talked about that on the podcast, okay. right? I think so. Yeah. So I went, I, think so. I went and yeah. saw it, and it was really fun for all the reasons that you are describing because the movie is so good. And but but because of that, I uh, Alex had never seen it, and so we watched it like two or three weeks ago. And like, he he was into it from the get go. And also, it had been a while, a minute since I had seen it. Um, and we definitely paused it at some point early on in the movie. We were like, "This is a really good movie. <laughs> like, it's not just like a good nostalgic movie. It's like a genuinely great piece. It's just so funny and witty. And you're totally right that like it's it's just so funny that like." Probably in 1999, cat people thought she was a little bit extreme, but in 2019, she is just, like, perfectly modern, and, like, everything about it is, like, oh, you guys have nailed it. Not everything. I have tiny, tiny nitpicks. Yeah, but I mean, there's still, like, whole, the one-note like,
1: best friend and, like, stuff like that, yeah,
0: but... But it's just so good, and everybody in it, you're, and, yes, Heath Ledger is just such a standout in it. Yeah. Did you read the New York Times article? No, oh, I thought it was actually only so-so, but I've seen a few other ones cropping around, too.
1: Yeah, I saw a few. Um, <clears throat> I saw one on like LitHub or something mm-hmm. that I thought was really good because it was talking about like the character of Cat specifically. Yeah. Um But it, it, I think the thing that strikes me is like years later, like the the, the lines just pop into my head. Totally. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. I think I, think I told you like I was <laughs> I was on this trip in Europe and I was like in the middle of Prague and I was like all I could think about was how I'm so well. <laughs> which actually is a word and does not mean that, but in the moment I was like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's something to do with boats. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> like that, that opening like conversation with Bianca and Chastity is like the best.
0: Yeah. Oh man.
1: I can never think about sketchers the same way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can only ever like them.
1: Yeah. I've never had a Prada backpack
0: to love, <laughs> but I love my. <laughs> but sketches. no, I just like. Yeah, okay,
1: it's it's crazy because like all those other movies that came out around the same time, like she's all that, you know, she's all that. Yeah. I think we remember because like Freddie Prince Jr., yeah. like all of this stuff. But like, it's not really a great movie, no. and I mean, it, you know, it's fine. And I think there was a genre of movies that was being made at that there time. There are, that, like, There's a bunch not, of them. Yeah, yeah, that that does not happen today.
0: Yeah.
1: Um... And so I think for that, to, like, I, I have kind of some nostalgia for those movies, yeah. but 10 things I hate about you is on a whole other exactly.
0: level. Yeah. Totally agree. Oh my
1: God. And that final scene where she's reading the poem Ugh. and,
0: uh. And the final scene where so, they're playing on top, this is probably literally the conversation we had last week, but <laughs> like when they play that song at the end and they're on the rooftop and it's this like amazing shot that they did by helicopter, like the whole thing, the music is great. Yeah.
1: A couple years ago, I was in Seattle, and I was with some friends, but they all left before me. So I had, like, an afternoon to, like, Mm, or morning mm -hmm. to, like, walk around before I had to go for the airport. And I took myself on, like, a little 10 Things I Hate About You tour where I went and saw the troll, and I went to Gasworks Park, Mm -hmm. which basically you can look out on the lake where um, they went Mm -hmm. (laughs) paddleboarding. And, like, I don't know. Like, I just, like, had this, like, happy moment where I was, like, revisiting some of the (laughs) sites in that movie. No. So, anyway, uh, I guess this is adding on to talking about it um, before, but, like, yeah, definitely go check out that movie. Okay. Uh, all right. What team are you on? Team Dawn. Yeah. I think so. Also, everybody else is pretty awful. I'll go with (laughs) it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back next week to talk about Gone and Birthday. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Talk to you later.
1: Once More With Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme
0: music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder.
1: And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have. And find us on Twitter and Instagram at podcast.
0: You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.